to the Soul Savvyness Podcast. I'm your host, Q Lynn. And another great episode. I believe this is episode 20. We got another special guest on, Immaculate Guest. Uh, it's usually one of my favorite episodes when I can really talk to musicians and, and really just get into the real conversations that I want to get into because my audience, I know y'all love when we have real musicians on and we have, I feel like we have one of the, one of the best that's out right now. Just, just immaculate talent. He's a, a, a musical director. He's he's a MD for Jodeci's, MD for uh, uh, TLC, Escape. The list goes on and on. We could it's it's a plethora of artists that he's <laughs> MD for. His credits is very long, and uh, he's also a pastor as well. And uh, give it up right now for my guest, Mr. Eric E. Williams. How you doing, E. Will Williams? Sorry. Uh- no, you're good. How are you doing? How are you feeling? Oh, I'm doing good. I'm glad you came on. Thank you for coming on my podcast because I, I, I've been a fan of yours for a while and I've, 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 I haven't been in the R&B scene in a minute because I'm a musician as well. I'm usually in the, the pop area lane now. I haven't been in the R&B, but when I did see you some years back, I was going to get into that later on in terms of your journey, but I usually start out... Uh, uh, it's this thing on a show I called uh, Musical Genesis. I try to get into the the musical upbringing of all my guests. Hopefully nobody uh, deems that as blasphemous, but it just fits for me <laughs> saying Musical Genesis. But I want to know in terms of your upbringing, I know the church has a lot to do with it in terms of your musical taste, but for you, where did your musical taste span from in, in terms of your childhood? Well, okay, that's a great question. First of all, let me say thank you for having me on your podcast. This is like so dope. I'm a fan, I'm a follower, and I'm a supporter. So thank you for having me. So my musical journey uh, was, it was amazing because, I'm, first of all, let me tell you, I'm the oldest of eight children. Okay, mm-hmm. the oldest of eight children. And uh, my, my dad is a musician. So my dad... He's like, he's amazing. He plays about five different instruments, right? Mm -hmm. So my dad started off with Rick James and the Stone City Band as a musician. Mm -hmm. Never played in church, really. So coming up, my uncle, my uncle, uh, my uncle Santo had a keyboard. And uh, I used to sneak in his basement and play his keyboard when he was at work. And I would also play... (laughs) My uh, my dad's keyboard, well, my grandmother had an old beat up piano upstairs, you know, the old upright piano. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I would just bang on it, trying to make beats, hear this beat, because I was a drummer uh, in my earlier years. You know, I'm, now I'm talking about nine years old. Like, I'm mm-hmm. trying to make beats on a, on a piano. Ding, 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 ding. That kind of vibe. <laughs> and long <Right>. story short, <laughs> long story short, 
uh, my great grandmother and my grandmother purchased a keyboard from us for Christmas from Chicago, and they brought it to Buffalo, New York, and and it was like it was history. I fell in love with the keyboard and started playing uh, the keyboard. Uh, the first song I played on piano that I actually learned was Jesus is on the main line. So that was the first song. And uh, I didn't start taking like keyboard seriously until about 13, 14 years old. So up until that point, I was just playing. But my, my greatest influence was my father and my uncle, my uncle Santo. Okay. Uh, they were, so they were in the Stone City band. That that I didn't know. What, what was that? Uh, were they part of all the Stone City band albums with Rick James? Or, uh, where, where did it start from uh, in terms of your dad and your uncle? So honestly, my uncle wasn't in the Stone City Band. It was your dad. Right, right, right. Okay. My uncle was playing at the church. But okay. understand this, I wasn't born yet. So okay. far as with the albums, um, I'm not sure if he was on the albums because he was a he was the youngest person in the group. So okay. He came in and just jumped in on the road with them and uh okay. toured and everything. Yeah. Okay. That that makes sense because Rick, I think he did most of the production and then it's sort of like with Jimmy Jam and Terry Lewis like with uh, I think Prince did most of their records and then when they performed it live it was like you know it was that band so I think it was sort of like the time and but that's dope yeah right right, he he got with them at like 17 years old that's crazy that's the same thing with Raphael Sadiq I think he joined um, Prince's entourage in terms of uh, his band like he would I guess have those jam sessions and he he i think he joined around that age too around 16 17 so that's pretty crazy but uh in terms of your your upbringing so you learned so did you learn the songs that you were starting to learn you just your adolescent ages in terms of music what what was your, your your musical taste span from what 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 kind of music were you listening to as a kid as a kid now i was a huge James Hall fan, a huge okay. John P. Key fan. Like, I love that music, you know. Uh, the Winans commission, you know, coming up. That's what I listened to. And then, uh, you know, that it did it for me as far as gospel music. And then mm-hmm. when Kim Burrell came out with Everlasting Life, I started listen, listening to that. Like, that Holy Ghost record, Holy. Yeah. Uh, that was cr- mm-hmm. I'm not a vocalist, but you see what I'm saying? You good, man. I feel you. <laughs> <laughs> those changes were crazy. Uh-huh. But when I fell in love with music, it was when I heard the solo on Forever My Lady by a group, a group called named Jodeci. Right. When I heard yep. Levante Swing play that solo on the synthesizer, I was like, oh my God, what's mm-hmm. that? I have so that was actually the first solo I ever learned. But listening to those guys, huge inspiration uh, as far as with my musical career and my talents. They they have influenced so. I mean, during a whole time period that uh, we talk about Uptown Records, Andre Harrell, everything that started from there with I'll Be Sure. And then it went with, you know, it followed when Jody C came in, it was like everything 
like with gospel R&B, like with the commission. And you mentioned commission. I feel like they were the first gospel R&B group because that's all I remember. And it's a lot of, because uh, I talked to a lot of R&B singers specifically in that time. And I remember talking to Buddy White from Intro and Kenny Green, rest on to him. Uh, he wrote majority of their music. And most of those artists say like commission, they would cite commission as, you know, that group that pretty much just birthed the whole, I feel like birthed most of the 90s male uh, solo singers and groups then. But with Jodeci, it was like, if Bobby Walmack had a group, <laughs> that's what I feel. Cause KC had though that lead vocals that felt like that that 70s style uh, vocals, but it was like quartet style. Cause that's what I remember uh, KC and JoJo in the Haley Singers, the, 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 the quartet group. Uh, I remember listening to them on cassette, so that's how I was introduced to Little Cedric and the Haley's. Yeah, Little Cedric and the Haley's. The, the, uh, that that was when, because they used to play that tape all the time during youth choir days. People would sing those songs, and so, but yeah, but yeah, Joe Steve, like you said, with Devonte Swingman, that guy just genius. It, everything oh, about man. those productions and the greatest uh, interludes. People don't even do interludes anymore, but those. Whoa, what? The interludes. The best interludes in the world. I, I could go all day on Jodeci. And then Come I feel on. like the, the Diary of a Mad Band, just just all those. Oh it's go, the list goes on and on. We I, I could so sit you, all day. So you're like about. me. You fell in love with the music, too. Oh, that's that's oh, that's a whole other story. We go get to that. <laughs> we, we, we got we got so much to talk about within this hour. But but yeah, I but. Love it. Just uh, sticking on that, because my, my thing is, I talked to a, a therapist, he's a, a, a broadcaster as well, but I was trying to find, I feel like there's some kind of scientific theory when it comes to like nostalgia mute with, with us, uh, just just general folks, just as, us as people that we have attached with nostalgia with our music. If we grew up in a certain time period, we grew up in a certain era, it's certain songs that stand out, whether you replayed it so much because it was on the radio a lot, or like if I hear Karen White's Superwoman, like I remember exactly where I was when I heard it. Or if I heard Babyface's first solo record, I know exactly where I was when I heard it. Is there any song like you remember it from your childhood that kind of stands out that like you remember exactly where you were when you first heard it? So I have two records I remember exactly where I was. One was Hezekiah Walker's Come Home. Mm. Uh, I, was, I had a Walkman. I was in the yeah. grade. And I was at the bus stop. And I snuck on my uncle's cassette tape. My uncle being on cassette tape. <laughs> and I played that record, the Come Home record. And it got, I, I fell in love with the drive to come home. Come home. I fell in yeah. love with the drive. It, was, it, it blew me away. And when I heard come and talk to me, like Jodeci for the first time, uh, I was in my grandma's service car driving, and I heard that harmonies, I heard the sound. I never forget what it was. 33 uh, in Buffalo, New York, and I heard that, and it just it stayed with me all these years. And, and in that same vein, I was going to, because I feel like. It's just for me growing up, it's like even now, because I listen to new music 
I try to get with uh, the times and, and try not to reminisce too much, but I get into those nostalgia modes. And for me, certain eras stick out. Like for me, I was an 80s kid. So there's a lot of Bon Jovi, a lot of, wow. uh, it, it just, it just, everything, everything on the radio, I, well, cause back in the day, you know, like it wasn't, we didn't have streaming services. So it was like, whoever's car you were in, that's the music you listen to. And so if I hopped into uh, a certain relative's car, they're playing Bon Jovi, they're playing uh, George Michael, they're playing uh, uh, Karen White, Melissa Morgan, Mickey Howard. It's like a span of thing. And then if I jump, uh, jump in my grandpa, my grandparents' car, he, my grandfather, he's listening to Bobby Womack, Otis Redding, uh, Sam Cooke, you know, he's listening to that. So it's like, it's just different. My, my span of music is different. So me as a, I, I don't know if this is the same for you, but when I was growing up, I thought that music was new because they were still playing it on the radio. So I thought the Tempt- Temptations was, <laughs> was was a popular artist in the 90s. <laughs> in the 80s. I thought that was listening to Smokey Robinson. I was like, oh, this is this is new. This just came out. Frankie, Frankie Lyman and the Teenagers. This is new This is new music. So I want to know, what, what was that like for you in terms of, uh, is there a certain era that that kind of sticks with you and it's like your kind of nostalgia mood? Is there like a certain era that sticks out? You know, okay, so let me tell you, like I remember profoundly like hearing a lot of Michael Jackson and Stevie Wonder as a kid, like like Sir Duke, the line. You know, I remember that. Like, yeah, like the, mm-hmm. I was like, oh my God. What's this? Like, I thought it just came out. It was this was in a late night. You know, right. and, I, and I, but it was like like that, you know, like you said, we didn't have social media. We were uh, you know, I on the radio and I told my my dad, I was like, Dad, who is this? You know, this just came out. I didn't know it was Stevie Wonder. My dad said, that's old. I was playing that when I was a shorty. So mm-hmm. uh, I had that moment too. So I would say like the Stevie era, the Earth, Wind, and Fire era, the mm-hmm. uh, man. And then coming up, I'm an 80s baby too, but coming up in the 90s, growing up, was when I adopted that full, full on R&B. You know, like. And so you said you didn't start taking, uh, playing music. So you started out playing the drums. What, right. where did that, where, where did you start playing? Did you start playing in church or was it again, just using your, your, your father's instruments or your, your uncle's instruments and just playing at the house? Or did you expand out of like playing in school or, uh, at church? Where, where did that come from in terms of playing the drums first? See the drums. It just so my uncle, my uncle Murray, he passed away. It's another uncle. He was a drummer, and it's told to me that he would sit me on his lap as a baby, and I would take the sticks and start hitting the drum. So you know, coming up, the first instrument most kids are drawn to the drums. Right. So, so I kind of cultivated my gift in church and I took uh, I played drums in school as well mm-hmm. I also took trumpet I learned how to play the trumpet uh, in school so drums and trumpet I was learning at the same time oh wow and so was it like certain songs that you like playing on the drums was there like a certain genre or did you just like playing anything on the drums 
anything that Liddell Abrams played, I love to play. Okay. Like, the job and key strength and mm-hmm. all those old gospel choir records. It was like, I thought I was Liddell Abrams Jr. <laughs> like a little, you right, know. Right. You yeah. know. He was the guy back then. Yeah. So, you know, I was a huge fan. You know what I mean? So it's kind of kind of pattern myself back what was it uh, like in between that time, like before you started playing the piano, was there uh, interest outside of playing music? Is that why it took so long to go back to it? You know what? I'm going to say this. and People are going to think I'm crazy when they watch this, this podcast. I literally thought I was going to go to the NBA. Okay. <laughs> As a kid. <laughs> I thought I just had it. I thought my shot was amazing. Like I can get to a free throw line, line and the was my defense was amazing. I was like like right. Scotty Pimpin. Needless <laughs> to say. Uh but however, um I certainly realized after playing people outside of my neighborhood, right, uh take the neighbor off outside of my hood that right, uh, right. you know it was it, I wasn't the guy, you know, right. and I quickly picked up my instrument again. See, oh man, that's so crazy. We <laughs> literally have the same sort of epiphany age because I was self-taught and then I started taking lessons in jazz. And that was going to be my next question to you. When you started playing the piano, uh, in terms of were you classically trained or, or what, what kind of training did you get? Were you self-taught or did you actually like take lessons? I was primarily self-taught. Like I wanted to take lessons and it just didn't work out. But there was God gave me favor like from a child. So there was a music store across from where we live called Unit Stage. And the deal was they would let me come there and play the keyboards, play the drums, whatever, if I finished my homework. So I would okay. literally come home from school do my homework and go to Union Stage and stay there until they closed and then go back home. You know, but there was a guy I have to give this man credit that showed me so much love, so much grace. A guy by the name of Eddie Mark. I mean, he he okay. took me in. He was a he, I grew up coaching. You know, okay. so my mother's side is Church of God of Christ, my dad's side is Baptist. So I had okay. the best of both worlds. I could tell you that I would I could speak in tongue and then sing I would trust in the Lord until I die and then I would cuss a little bit uh, <laughs> that's the Baptist side I'm assuming with the cussing because that's how I grew up Baptist too you know what I'm talking about right you know right right you ain't, you ain't been told off right until you got told off by a good a good Baptist oh bread, yeah Baptist fed absolutely God, you know absolutely but, uh, <laughs> but but yeah, so this guy, he really helped me out a lot and showed me different things and made sure I played in all my keys. So, you mm-hmm. know, he would get on me about that. So, because my dad didn't play gospel music. Oh, wow. See, that's that's the crazy thing, because I grew up Baptist. It's so, because it, I, I started learning about different denominations, which I was going to get to when we get to your uh, pastor story. But it's so interesting, because when I grew up, I didn't have no limitations when it came to music. And even we went to church, like we had to go to church. Like once I started going, it was a thing in my, my, if I went to church with my grandma, cause my, my dad, my, my dad, my mother, they didn't go to church. It was the only way I went to church was with my grandmother. And my you dad stop, you had to stop telling right. my story. 
<laughs> I had a host of uncles and aunts because my dad comes from a big family. He has a lot of brothers and sisters. And so they didn't go to church unless their, their mother, my grandmother, made them go to church. And so when I would go with my grandmother, we had to go to church. And once we got baptized, it was like, okay, now you got to go every Sunday now. And so, but even with that, I, I was listening to gospel music in church. I started listening to gospel music when I went to church, but I was always listening to R&B music or whatever was on the radio. Like it wasn't any limitation. So I, I always thought it was, I, I, it was just like a different universe. When I heard of like different denominations, it was like a limit limitation with listen to certain music like they called it succular music like we wouldn't even it wasn't even a thing <laughs> in the baptist church where they said that so it was like we were listening like my like i told you my uncle's a heathen so we had to go with my uncle he was in his 20s so he's listening to huge. like you said jo- right right he he listened to jodeci he's listening to keep sweat so uh, on saturday night he listened to the club music <laughs> so he's listening to Three Six Mafia. He's listening to all that, you know, the party music on Saturdays. Wow. Sunday music. He didn't like listening to gospel music. This is a true story to all the listeners. He didn't like listening to gospel music, so he thought R and B was a good substitute for <laughs> gospel. So hey. every time, uh, every Sunday morning, I gotta listen to Keep Sweat because that's wow. <laughs> that was my. <laughs> but so how do you go from at the cross right. where I found, first found into uh, nobody? Know, Nobody. <laughs> Nobody loves yeah. it. Right. But that was that was like I said. Me? It was it was heathens taking me to church. That's what <laughs> hey, that's that was the thing. Right, right, right. But now now said, I, I right. They could have said who can do you like me? Jesus. Right. Who can set right. you free? Jesus. Jesus. Right. <laughs> <laughs> no, man, listen. This is a, a heathen. I, I know you're 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 the man of the cloth, but at this show I try to behave myself. I don't I don't try to act up too much. But I am I, I, I call I call I call myself I'm a board again hooligan. I just wanna let you know that I, I just gotta be it. honest it. up front. It, it's just part of my story. I just had to be truthful and say that I'm a board again hooligan. That's just that's just That's why we rocking. That's why we rocking. <laughs> I love it. But, I love it. But but getting to that, I I wanted to know was there limitations of to the what it seems like you didn't have it uh when you were at home but what as as you were coming up playing did you play in church did you start playing when did you start playing the piano in church i started playing the keyboard in church i was probably around 14 14 years old and i was a substitute like so if my cousin didn't show up okay at a service he was the pastor's son then i would play until he got there you know i was the guy that had to deal with that will always get scooted off the organ or playing okay. the keyboard, uh, you know. But so that happened, and yeah, I was about fourteen years old, and then at sixteen, I got hired at another church to take over and start playing full time. That's when I first got like started getting paid to play, right. which that, opened up a whole new world. Yeah, for me. it. I, I always want to ask musicians this because um, my introduction to music was always different because I had friends in the music industry. And so when I started playing outside of just at my house, just practicing, it was at a, I was a session musician first, but I didn't really take it seriously. Cause he was just like, Hey, come through the studio. I'm not realizing that this is a real thing. Like this is a, like I'm under a parent label, like, doing all that stuff uh 
like a producer, he would come in, I'll basically fill the space in the song, whatever the keyboard parts in that he needed. And it might've been 15 to 20 songs within a span of some weeks. And I would just fill the space and I'm not realizing, oh, this is an actual thing. I'm just like, oh, I'm just here in LA because I'm interning at a radio show. I'm not really taking it seriously. And it wasn't until I got in the church, that's when it started, things started making sense because I didn't understand gospel music. I didn't understand what it was. It was it, like I was, I came from the jazz and, and classical, like that's all I was learning was like, was most like playing Bach, playing uh, some records, just, just playing some jazz records and like Nancy Wilson records, the, the, key, the, the piano parts on there. And so when I started playing gospel, it was like a whole other world. And so the only way I understood it, I would listen to like, like, like you said, the nineties R and B, the Jodeci's. And I'm like, Oh, some of these kind of have gospel chords in it. And I, I would listen to Prince and he had heavy, like gospel chords. And I'm like, and then I would listen to blues music. And then I just kind of got into this, this studying. I just started studying different music and I'm like, Oh, this is a three, four, five. I was like, Oh, this is, this is what, this is what gospel is. And then it just sort of, I just started playing a lot of jazz records and I would hit a lot of jazz riffs in church. And then I would start, I started progressing to playing R&B music in church. Like I would, <laughs> and it would go from that. I, I would, and then when I would start getting, feeling myself, I'd be like, okay, let me sneak some Too Short in. Let me sneak some, uh-oh, let me uh-oh. sneak some Prince in. Like I played Erotic Isaac City. Brothers. Yeah, I would play Scandalous, Prince is Scandalous. I played it all time the altar call like and i would just drag the chords out where they couldn't hear <laughs> they couldn't understand what i was playing but that's the only way i understood uh playing in church in the the hymnals and playing certain chords i want to know in terms of uh your your understanding of music as a musician when what age did that come to you it actually came to me around 18. okay because that's we, it took me time to develop. I developed a little slower. So quick uh, hindsight of what happened. Uh, I got my first club gig. Mm-hmm. I believe I was 18 years old, 17 or 18. And I never forget, we were playing Shining Star by Earth, Wind & Fire. And mm-hmm. you know how the record go. Mm-hmm. But for me, so it was me, my dad, and my brother, and a drummer. And they were playing Shining Star, and I had the parts. So I'm, I'm there singing the hook, you know, Shining Star. I'm here, I'm playing this. I'm doing that stuff. And then everyone's looking at me like, what are you doing? I'm like, you told me to play. Like, I'm, like I don't mm-hmm. understand. And my dad embarrassed me, like, put his hand up in my face, like, stop. Nobody want to hear that church S, you know. So I was like, church as I'm playing, like horns, right. mm-hmm. not knowing and understanding parts. Right. I, I, I had no comprehension of like that being the record. Right. I thought I can do whatever I wanted to do because I was a church player and I heard gospel guys play whatever they wanted to play in every mm-hmm. record mm-hmm. so that was the turning point with me and even when it came down to learning my chords so what I did was I wanted to, to learn my chords 
and and because my dad was we had a gig and he was learning he has perfect pitch and he sit down and they play the, the record came on and we had to learn all these songs for the gig and he did not turn the keyboard on he sat down and just wrote out every chord oh wow time signature and everything mm-hmm. for what these records were I listened to mm-hmm. chords yeah. and then I touched the chord I'm sitting here I'm like I don't even know what key it is you know I'm trying to figure all right. this out and he set me down and showed me my chords but here was the kicker he said for each chord I show you you had to pay me $20 oh wow <laughs> so you know root third and the fifth what's that you know we in the key of C I, I said well, I, you know I don't know he says C major I said okay oh C major I know that he said $20 mm. I'm like flat flat the third C minor I'm just like you know raise the fifth that's augmented and he took right. me through every chord the plus five every in every key I was mm-hmm. getting money you know what I mean right 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 uh, man made me pay so that's when my life changed you know at that point and I was like oh okay I get it but I learned a very important lesson you pay for what you cherish what you really want and ever since that day I know my chords no I know my chords so you know, thanks, Pops, you know, for looking out. <laughs> it, it's something about, well, because it's interesting you learned that way. Me, it was like an intense thing playing in, in church. I felt more, uh, I don't know about you, I felt more terrified playing in church than I did when I did like professional gigs because it was like in church, even though they like encourage you, they like, that's all right, baby, take your time. You know, they'll say that, but it's like when you're around like real musicians like because the the musicians that were my mentors in church they were like they were like 70s type style uh musicians so they grew up with the you know playing like parliament and you know you know the the gap band you know playing those records and so they they know the key right off the jump like they because it but then i realized it's like okay most of these songs is like c major uh f sharp you know e flat is yeah e some of the 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 easy chords to play so but they could pick it up so fast and then once i was learning it was like okay i get what they're doing but what i learned and i was going to ask you this in terms of like meshing together with an ensemble because i was so used to playing by myself individually i think playing in church helped me understanding what every instrument was doing and understanding that space in the song, like what the bass was doing, who was carrying, who was carrying the song, what 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 made the song drive? Was it the bass driving the song? Was it the key? Was it the keys? Was it the organ? Was it the guitarist? Was it the drums? And I kind of it wasn't until because it would be certain songs that had complex to me had complex arrangements, and I'm trying to figure out my part and how to fit in there, and then the bass player just was like, just listen. He just said, it was just simple wisdom he gave, just sit and listen and hear the conversation. And I'm like, oh, and then it started clicking. I'm like, oh, it's a conversation with the musicians. Everybody has their part. It's like, you can't over talk this instrument. You can't over talk that. And I, w- I was around the same age too when I figured that out. It was like 1920. And then immersing into the, the, the craft of the music, what for you 
when when did that that change in terms of uh, wanting to do it professionally? What age was that for you? I realized I say about twenty years old. I was about twenty years old. I realized um, I did not want to work for anyone, and mm-hmm. um, I'm like, man, I only want to do what I love. Only you know, and I. I had to have purpose to my life and music brought purpose. Music just felt like, I'm like, that's who I am. Mm-hmm. You know, without music, I don't want to live. You know, that's how I felt at that time. And uh, mm-hmm. so about 20 years old, yeah, 20, 20 years old, I really took it serious and, and like, you know, I want to do this on a big stage. I want to tour. I want to produce mm-hmm. records. I want to do this. I want to work with the greats. That's that's dope. So twenty years old. What what was that that first gig? Because we all started somewhere. I'm sure it wasn't. <laughs> I've been. We've I done many. Right, done many of a uh, hole in the wall. If anybody don't understand the musician journey, it's a lot. Back in the day, you had to actually go through steps to get to certain important gigs when you got Absolutely. to the big money gigs, and so. I did a lot of did a lot of shows for uh, Buffalo Wings and <laughs> sorry to the Saints for uh, for alcohol, yeah. right? Yeah. For well, no, it was like wait because it was like open bar. It's like some of them was open bar certain gigs, and it's like oh okay. And then Buffalo Wings, you play for a lot of uh, play for a lot of food. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. We gonna take good care of you. Don't worry, but you gotta worry about food right. or drink. I got right. you. Right, exactly. You thought that was, and then when you made your first, my first, I think was like $75. I thought that was a lot of money because I never got paid. But then it was like, as it gradually went up. So where where did that journey start for you in terms of uh, taking, you 20 years old, taking it seriously? What did that journey look like for you as a musician? So let me go back to 16. When I was 16, Mm -hmm. I had my first church gig at Ebenezer. Ebenezer Baptist Church in Lackawanna, New York. And they paid me, they had five choirs and I backed up the preacher. They paid me $50. And I had mm-hmm. rehearsal like three times a week for $50 and plus Sunday morning, okay? So that was my start. And then uh, when I was 20, I, I played for a lady, a gospel singer by the name of uh, Jackie Copeland, which led to me working with Dorinda Clark. Mm-hmm. Then I had the opportunity to move to uh, Charlotte, North Carolina Bishop Eddie Long was starting a church in Charlotte mm-hmm. and they were looking for someone to be the guy musically. And mm-hmm. uh, my good friend, brother Tim Moe, uh, was the guy that, that brought me in. So they moved me to Charlotte. Uh, but my first major situation, I was 23, 24 years old. Yeah, 23 turned to 24. And I got a call to go out with uh, Teddy Riley in Blackstreet. Okay. So that was my first, like when I realized, like, oh, I can make money, money. Mm-hmm. You know, and it didn't start off like that, but just to be in the atmosphere, you got to realize to come from where I come from, I mean, a church guy, really, and to get an opportunity to, to get flown from Charlotte, North Carolina to mm-hmm. Los Angeles, California to rehearse in North Hollywood, like a 23, 24 year old kid, young man, that it just blew my mind. And I, my eyes were open and I saw other creators and other creatives. And I was in a very creative space with, here it is, 
the man who came up with with the New Jack joint. Right. Teddy Riley, that's, that's you know, incredible. the producer right. for Michael Jackson, you know what I mean? The, yes. To start right. there. So, mm-hmm. that was my first professional gig. And, of course, the little club stuff, was, I was 17, 18 years old. Okay. that That's incredible. That that was it just word of mouth or, or what was that connection to to getting there? Well, to be honest, I had a friend who's a, a great friend of mine. Uh, he was my best friend. We call him Young World, Derek McAllister, and he actually connected me with Teddy, mm-hmm. and, um, and that's all she wrote. Him, oh wow, a guy by the name of KQ. He was Teddy Riley's assistant in the music business. They both both were saying my name. And mm-hmm. bring me to the to the table. So, shout out to Young and KQ, all love. Right, that that's so incredible because it speaks to. Because I have uh, a, another question regarding that in terms of because to me, um, playing in church, it it opened up. It was more spiritual for me. I just had fun because I was young, and so learning that part of learning was fun for me. And so it was it was freeing. It was it was a spiritual experience because it was just like once I develop and when you're mentored by the right people and they're guiding you and let you do your thing. Because then I started when I like I said, when I was being a heathen and playing R&B, it was a freedom in that because they knew I was doing it. But they just let me do my thing because it, it was just it, that's how I was learning. And right, right. I always wanted to know what I asked musicians this in terms of connecting the musical dots because for me I, I couldn't call myself a real musician until I did it for like 10 years like professionally and so that whole time I was like doing professional gigs once I transitioned out of playing church it was just me immersing being a student in the music and my next question is more in regards of the music director role that you have or that uh, I guess the the beginning of that for me, I ask you a question I, before you ask me a question. Oh, oh go ahead, go ahead. No, you no, said something. I had to ask you. you said when you were playing at church, and but it, it was cool for you to be a heathen uh, playing R and B stuff. What made you a heathen? Well, because it wasn't it wasn't typical. It wasn't a th- I I didn't know that musician. I know it's a thing for musicians now because every musician I, musician I talk to they say they've done that in church, but. For me, it felt like I was sneaking and doing it. I was, cause it was like smooth R&B chords. And I, I just got tired of playing the same chords. Like, cause so you know, you R&B get bored. Chords? What are R&B chords? It's like, it's like a lot of flat chords. It's sort of like with, with jazz. It was like a mix of, it's a, to me, it's a lot of flat chords. That's R&B chords. It's like, some people call them sharps. I say sharp, sharps, but flat, flat chords to me, is like a lot of arm, so I would play a lot of those because I would get bored. It, it felt like I could be more creative in that, and then I would add a lot of jazz chords, like st- in certain riffs, like the you know the song uh, "Pray for Me." It's like "Pray for Me," and when it get to that, it it's, it felt very bluesy and jazz, and so I would do a lot of jazz notes just to stay from playing the same notes every time. But that I, I just felt like it wasn't. It wasn't. I didn't, I didn't know if it was a thing that everybody did, right. and I, I and, and yeah. back in the day, it wasn't really accepted to be doing that. It wasn't. <laughs> to be it playing. Was. So let me tell you. Yeah. So my, they tried to do that to me. They told me hmm. I was 
we pray for you to be anointed your hands. You're going to hell. You shouldn't be playing this music. And you playing the <laughs> devil. You know, you over here playing that, that devil, them devil, demonic chords and all that. I said, okay, well, <laughs> I called, and I was a very intelligent and articulate mm-hmm. guy. I said, hey, mm-hmm. well, come over to the organ, please. It was a hammer organ. I said, can you please mm-hmm. show me what note is the devil's on this organ? Right. Show me what note is R&B on this organ. Show me what note right. is jazz on the organ. And they couldn't. Because the mm-hmm. word I read, it says, let everything that has breath praise ye the right. Lord. So right. if my heart is pure, no matter if I'm, no matter where I am, right. I'm praising the Lord. It's a, it, I'm giving back to him what he gave to me. So I tell right. people all the time, like, there's no such thing as, what's an R&B chord? What's an R&B chord? It's a chord. Right. When you look right. at the chord, if I say play an E minor seven, it's going to be mm-hmm. an E minor seven. If it's in a right. jazz book, a classical book, gospel mm-hmm. chord book, whatever, it's going to be an E minor seven. So let's right. not put ourselves in a box by saying right. it's a jazz chord, it's a blues. Now we know most blues chords thirteens, but you can have a thirteen yeah. in a rock right. song, in a you know any right. kind of record. So it's a chord is a chord, as long as your yeah. heart is pure, that's how you rock. So I just had to. I don't know. I yeah, yeah, that. yeah. I received that. I received that a hundred percent. It was just um, what was accepted. I, I, I classify it as that, like jazz R and B chords, because to me, again, it's all the same. Like I said, that's why it made sense because all that comes from each other. Like we can even go yeah, back absolutely. to be- bebop music with um, Dizzy Gillespie and and absolutely. all those great art. Like to them, the, the reason why those I, I say certain genres specifically even though all those come from the same uh, those fusion sounds all come together but it's important in terms of the the musical history because a lot of times like jazz music jazz artists were getting criticized like this isn't real jazz as it kept progressing especially when it got to Thelonious Monk the 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 the, the way he approached chords it, it, it just blew my mind and and it just opened my mind to how what what what's the possibility you could do as a musician when I listen to yeah. Thelonious Monk? But at the time, what he was doing was radical. Even though me listening to it, it may sound like something that I've heard in a hip hop sample. But for that time period, like with bebop, like they didn't consider that real jazz right. music because it was too hip. It it seemed too pop, and then it progressed when you get to the fifties and sixties the pop records and as Motown ushered in, it was like, this is too pop. This isn't real music. And then you get yeah. to the chess records, you get to the high records, the Memphis soul, the seventies. And then you get to Aretha Franklin, like it, that rhythm and blues uh, term, genre term didn't get coined until Aretha Franklin was well, before introduced. That, you had Ray Charles. Yeah. Right, exactly. With country, he, that was yeah, that as crazy putting gospel in there like he seemed they they he got demonized for mixing all those genres together so again like you said it it, i i think in terms of musical history that's why i say it just for uh the just giving reverence to those that paved the way for those genres to say like jazz chords and all that but i 100 get what you're saying in terms of the in terms of the church church uh reference the mindset, it, it, the mindset yeah the mindset it was just it was just which i'm glad that i was at a church to where like they they were kind of getting out of the traditional ways of thinking and, and coming into the new 
And so whenever I came in, it was like, oh, this is something fresh. This is a different musician sound. And so they were more embracing than if I, if I, I'm sure because it was Baptist, if I went to another denomination, it'd probably be the same thing <laughs> you experienced, right. but they were, they wasn't so uptight about it, but getting yeah. to, um, what I was going to ask you in terms of the musical dots from, like I said, I just burst into the music and started connecting the musical dots. And when I would listen to Prince, I always wanted to know my, my inspirations, inspiration. So when I heard Prince, it was like, okay, he's playing certain chords. Well, who's his favorite artist? Okay. I learned, uh, Sly Stone was his favorite, Jimi Hendrix, Carlos Santana. And so when I listened to Sly Stone, I'm like, oh, this is insane. And then when I listened to Rick James, he's like, I read his book. He's like, uh, Miles Davis, he was a big jazz fan. And so when I hear Rick James records, I hear these horns, I hear the, the jazz influence in there. And I wanted to know for you, um, who, who in, in terms of who inspired you as a musician, is there any musicians that stand out to you that, um, are like the, I guess I could say the pinnacle, like when you hear them, it's like, this is a real musician when you hear it. Man, I have local guys that I, you know, that inspired me as well as, you know, some well-known world-renowned musicians, but one would be Devante Swing. Mm -hmm. uh, definitely like true inspiration. Uh, my dad, I would say, um, Quincy Jones. Yes. Teddy Riley. Like that just Greg Filling game. It's like mm -hmm. just just that right there. I wasn't a huge and George Duke. I have to say George Duke. Oh, absolutely. Jeff Warburg. Yes. Like I was a you know, like that vibe. That, that was me. So those guys really inspired me. Then I had the small side Earth went in fire. Uh, the mm -hmm. Ohio players, man, like just, mm -hmm. you know, like just Bootsy and them boys, James Brown, oh my God. that mm -hmm. rhythm section was just, so I have, I'm like a musical, uh, I, 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 I eat from different tables, you know, but right. my, main, my major influences was Devante, Teddy Riley, Quincy Jones, I had to put yeah. three. You and I was gonna ask for Mount Rushmore, four of them, but you you summed it up perfectly. Cause me, my Mount Rushmore's of music is Sly Stone, Roger Troutman, Rick James, and Prince. And I, I that's more my musician side of my Mount Rushmore's. Cause for me, um, listening to Sly Stone, like I said. I, I just sort of connected the musical dots. And then when I when I read Rick James's uh, autobiography book, Glow, his book just made, it, it just really opened my eyes as a musician. Cause he said, he had a quote in there that I quote in there all the time. He said, cause he was um, being reflective. This is before he made it big. He, he In the seventies, he was like struggling. He went to Canada and was playing with Bob Dylan. And then he was trying to get record deals. They weren't working out. And he was in a self-reflective stage of trying to figure it out. And he was analyzing. He was just having reflective moments and talking about groups that were out. And he was doing it in such a, like, just a very analytical way, not being criti like criticizing the groups, but he was just like, okay, this is the kind of sound they have. And he yeah. said something in the book. And then 
when he would talk about groups that did, didn't really do it for him, he would explain it. He said this quote right here in his autobiography book, Glow. He said, um, I need more fire in my rock and more funk in my folk. What, what does that mean to you when you hear it? When you hear that quote? Fire in my rock, more funk in my folk. N- knowing the Rick James stories, fire in his rock. I just believe he needed more fire, um, you know, in his, I don't know. I, I don't want to say what I want to when say. I, when, I, when I read it, I was like, because it, it was, because the, the context matters. He was, like I said, he was talking about musicians and he was talking about, he was analyzing, okay, this, this band is good. This band is good. I don't really quite like this band because it doesn't have, because the, the context behind it, he was saying that I need more fire in my rock and more funk in my folk. When I read that, it, the words jumped out at me because it's like, I need to feel it at all times. Like it oh, has yeah, that. Yeah. And so when I hear Rick record, that downbeat is always in pocket. It's always in a groove. Like it, it, it's, it's not complex. It's very simple. The groove is very simple. Whether or not the bass is driving it. When I hear certain records, like when I hear Dance With Me, it's that guitar riff that dum 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 is just in the pocket and any other song that he's a part of that uh the, like the, the the Mary Jane all night long dum 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 boom 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 it's just in the pocket it's just that simple that 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 simple measure that carries the song throughout it's been sampled forever but when I hear those songs, I hear I, it, it jumped out at me. So when I listen to D'Angelo and those are his influence, or how players like the thing you said, Parliament yeah. and Funkadelic, like when I immerse myself in those records, it's like those songs all have that special groove. That's why I love live instrumentation. And I, I, I listen to those records, but I want to know for you, what what's something that you have to hear Cause I feel like there's three elements with a great song. I feel like the instrumentation has to be good, the lyrics and the vocal ability for all of it. And I feel like if anything doesn't, if any of those things are not in a song, it's not a good song to me. Like it could be okay, but it's not going to be that that perfect thing if those three don't three things don't align. What what what's the song? What makes it a great song to you when you hear it? You know what? I'm I'm a feel guy. Mm-hmm. It doesn't have to make sense. It just has to feel good. Like mm-hmm. I don't need a hundred notes played if it's two notes and it just feels good. That's me. So I'm look. I'm like I like to close my eyes and go on a, uh, an emotional ride, if you will. Uh, mm-hmm. One another thing is one element. Another element that I need is I need it for I need for the record to feel warm. Right. It has to be warm. And a good melody. That's one mm-hmm. of the main things, like for me. And the groove, the groove is important, the bass line, but you know, it's the feel of all that coming together as a melody. Right. Sitting, sitting in this place, in this pocket. And it's like you're baking this cake and it comes together when we have all your ingredients. You know, and then when you put the icing on top, which is the vocal, the lead vocal or the lead solo music. Uh, mm-hmm instrument musician right, it's right. over yeah it's mm-hmm. over that and you're, that's another question i was going to ask in terms of um in terms of the 
the space as a music director. I was always wanted to ask the music director this, um, cause there's so many, there's so many ways. Like when you're doing a, 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 a artist that has original music is certain. I'm always curious if, uh, you seek after artists that have like, a, ex, I guess some kind of musical knowledge. Cause I know you, you, you played MD for Fantasia. Like I've been to so many of her shows. I think that's where, I first seen you and your brother. I was going to talk about your brother as well because he's fantastic as well, Michael Curtis. But yeah. uh, she had this thing to where she put in her set, she would have this, um, she do um, Vanity Six, Nasty Girl, and it was, a, it was a couple more records and she did uh, Moore's Day. What 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 is, do you ever seek out those artists that have that kind of expansive musical knowledge? That way you could be as creative as you want to. I really don't seek out the artists. The, the, the awesome, amazing thing is that the artists or management team they they sought after me and, and right, right, and but so I'm blessed to work with, and I'm honored to work with like people like Fantasia that know what they want musically, you know, or mm-hmm. that understand the like like the ethos of music, and maybe mm-hmm. not. It, she may not be able to verbalize or show you exactly what it is, mm-hmm. but it's other ways she can she expresses what she wants. Uh, right. People like uh, like like KC, you know, like the Jodeci, they love that stuff. You know, you, like Charlie Wilson, he knows he, he get up there, show you, he play it. Right. You know, so so mm-hmm. uh, there's a benefit in working with artists like that, and then you have the artists who really don't know how you you have to that's when they they lean on you and trust you to right, produce right. a great show for them you know so what what made you want to take on that that rose at md because it's so because people don't understand uh if you're just a regular day person or just um uh just an amateur musician you people don't understand the the really the the big duties it is as a music director and and pretty much the compass of a the entire show basically right. and whether or not it hits correctly or not if the if the people feel it if the artist feels it is the most important thing if they're comfortable with everything that's going on what 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 was that journey like for you getting to that space of wanting to be a music director so honestly i never really like sought after being a musical director Mm-hmm. I saw after becoming a great musician and part player, which mm-hmm. in return led me to being a musical director. It's like, you know, I had I put my time in and develop a skill by learning every position, learning sonically, learning about even check this out, even learning about sound sonically, learning mm-hmm. to, how about lighting, learning about all those things that those nuances that come with the show so mm-hmm. what ultimately happened it qualified me to run the strip you know when mm-hmm. I found myself uh, playing for certain artists and I was not the MD and I would be like yo I think we should do this or hey, yo what y'all think about do- doing this and the client would say I want to do what E. Will I, I like what E. Will doing like, yo, that's E. Will. I'm like wow <laughs> I didn't see it then and right. then it just started evolving into me, you know, saying like, okay, I can do this. And I got mm-hmm. my first shot uh, 
and a musical director and I came in I remember someone told me they said if you want to do it you have to take control over everything like you have to know everything see people think being a musical director is just oh go to the four oh to the five three four right. five you know I hate that that's that's so distracting and you look silly right you know what yeah. so it's kind of like it's, so right. I see these guys I'm just like I'm like, oh, okay, great. He is lost and need to be found. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> uh, right. But there's different strokes, different folks. I'm not knocking anybody. Right. That right, 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 right. But for me, I love to be. I'm the musical director where you. I, I feel like you shouldn't know I'm the musical director. Because. Mm-hmm. I did such a great job by putting everyone in place, everyone on their pocket. They know what it's supposed to be. Uh, when playing the records, you know your, your responsibility. I don't have to do all that calling. Everyone just playing effortlessly. Right. Until we have a, a straight moment of flow. And then I have to direct. But other than that, I feel like that, you know, you're really directing when everything is right. So being a director, right. it consists of you more than music. It's, mm-hmm. you know, having the relationship with the client here is that they can trust your judgment of what you mm-hmm. bring to the table know how to put the right vocals in place they're putting the, you know it's like creative directing you know mm-hmm. you have to like you're really you're directing their career their musical career is in the hands of the musical director i'm entrusting you with my career because if i have a bad show then they're not going to talk about the musical director right 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 they're going to exactly. talk about so, me, the uh, artist. artist. The artist, yeah, right. So, so actually really owning in on your gifting, not only learning keyboards, but learning every area and developing those relationships with the guys that can interpret your vision, what you have, uh, and bring it to pass. You're, you're speaking on everything that I've experienced. It's so crazy. It's like these mirror moments that keep happening in this podcast episode because it was for me, it was understanding what, like I said, that musical conversation with an ensemble. And when I, when I really just dug into it, it was just like, Oh, this is, it was just learning my parts. It was just learning what I'm contributing and then understanding what everybody else is doing and what they're supposed to be doing that it started making sense and so when you're saying that when you said that it just spoke so much life to what i think is kind of missing with these younger musicians that i I feel like the discipline it lacks because it's always i feel like musicians like playing for other musicians it's like i don't i don't know where that came from it's like a a culture And I can't even blame the the younger musicians most of the time because it's mostly the the veterans that do it as well. It's like for me, I'm not into all that that that, and which is cool. When you're talented, if you could do you know shed, if you could do all that, but I love the pocket. I love a, just just hearing everybody just in their own space in that time, understanding what the the music calls for, the integrity. Now I, I understand music in terms of like I can listen to a song and it's like I, I understand the integrity of it and how it's supposed to be played but it's like 
I could tweak this a little bit and add, I would add this a little bit to it. And once I started right. understanding music, it's like, okay, I could keep the integrity, but I could add this a little bit. I would add a couple it's more feels. Yeah. It would, I was like, okay, I'll add a little bit of more feels to this part, but I'm going to keep it the same, but I'm just going to switch it up a little bit. But I think a lot of people, a lot of musicians, don't understand the time and the place in terms of professional gigs because I get a lot of yeah. uh, aspiring musicians always emailing me like, how do I get on? How do I get this? And and they don't understand the, the main part of the music business is the business part. It's not the talent. It's like, what kind of musician? They don't ask the right questions. It's like, how do I get on? It's no, how, what, how do you want to fit in this? Because there's so many ways you could be a musician. Do you want to be teaching? Do you want to teach music? Do you want to be a backing musician? Do you want to be a touring musician? Because there's different lanes you can be in. But I, I think a lot of times to where that that a starving artist label goes on musicians because they're so aimlessly taking whatever gig comes their way and they don't yeah. have a direction. And for me, that switched everything. Once I started folk honing in on, okay, what kind of musician do I want to be? It's like, okay, you've done studio work, what? but that doesn't move me. What moves me? And then when I started... I started like, oh, I want to be a music director. And then it just, everything, it just felt like everything aligned in my purpose because I started focusing on, okay, what 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 makes a show? What makes an hour set? If you had an hour time of some of an artist to, to work for, what kind of set would you make for them? And it's sort of envisioning that. And it's like, okay, let's create from that. But a lot of musicians, I think, don't have, they lack focus when it comes to specifically what it is you know they want to go after so yeah. in terms of uh, oh go ahead well, no 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 go ahead a lot of musicians are being taught properly when i say that a lot of musicians they they don't really know the foundation or the fundamentals of music and right. you know where we didn't have youtube to learn we really had to own in here this and become right. a student and right become a student of the of this before we started wanting to lead and direct we were always looking at right, the guy, right. I, and they would roll their eyes at you or, 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 or yeah. tell you to stop playing. You know, right. that's the school, the era I come up in. So you have these people, everyone wants to lead, but no one wants to follow. And you have to understand, right. you, you will get your turn, your opportunity to lead. The greatest failure, I believe, for many of us is not understanding when opportunity meets now. Yes, right. Because we focus on when opportunity, we trying to create opportunity. But opportunity is looking for now. So when the opportunity right. comes and now is your time, will you be ready to show up and shine? Right, exactly. But that you be you, a student you, first. And even, even as it comes to how you present yourself, your your appearance is very important. You can't yes. come in there scaring the, the you're scaring the bag away. And here right. this, this is the this is and musicians play for the oohs and the ahs and, and the whoa and for the likes. But see, and most of them are broke, living in apartments and renting. You know, I've been right. blessed. And, and this is what I'm teaching uh, other musicians that I'm, I'm always looking for new talent, guys I don't know, females I don't know, to give them opportunities. I'm blessed. I have nine over nine accounts. You know what I'm saying? I'm always stacking right. people. But, right. uh, you know, I tell them it's about your business. Like, What's your goal? You know, are you in, are you going? Do you want to be an owner? You know what I'm saying? Like I own multiple homes from being right, a right, musician. Right. You know what I mean? So it, it, it wasn't about oh, because you, you work with this person. No, it was about how I handled my business and I connected with someone 
that believed in me enough to help me develop here this my business and mm-hmm. not just my gift. Right. Because after this is over, what's next? Exactly. And you, you're speaking a hundred percent truth. That I don't disagree with anything you said because it that's that's simply what it is. And again, the look, like I learned the look from Frank McComb. That's one of my musician buddies, oh, yeah. one of the, the greatest pianists in the world. And he Absolutely. gives me free game, give me free knowledge. And you know, he's just one phone call away. He's a busy man, but the the gems he gives, even with Big Jim Wright, like that was one of my my one of my favorite oh, people to talk to. And he would give me so much game. And it was mostly, like you said, the imagery. Like if I go into it, like this is my thing. I like wearing hats and glasses. It became my thing. And so when people, when I would do gigs, I'll say 10 times out of 10, the gigs that I got was just me showing up. It was just being punctual and just being there. Because for me, my time is, I feel like time is so much valuable. And it's more valuable now as I get older and you experience things, you realize how much, time is valuable and how you don't want to waste it. And so when I show up to gig, show up on time, be punctual, know my part. And that was simply it. And it was like, oh, get hurt. And then if somebody, if, if like you said, a keyboard player didn't show up, a, a drummer didn't show up, it's like, oh, what you doing next Thursday? What you doing next Friday? What you doing the Sunday after that? I need Absolutely. you, can you do that? And then it was just, it was just a snowball effect. And then it just kept progressing and you kind of line and, and the next question I have for you in terms of in whatever age uh, this applies to you like we talked about uh, you talked to uh, the conversation we have it now it was a time to where um, I had to figure out what was a, a opportunity or inconvenience and it was like when mm, you get those yeses right when you get those yeses it feels like oh I made it I'm getting it but then it becomes overwhelming because then your schedule starts to get stacked up and you don't know until you get into it if it's an inconvenience or opportunity. What was that age for you to where you had to realize that something was an inconvenience or opportunity? You know, I, I, I can't put a, a number on the age because mm-hmm. it wasn't an age. It, was, it wasn't until I matured and realized my value, the value of my time. Because I realized time is the only thing I can give away and never get back. So once I give it, it's, it's gone. It's never coming back. So it was more like, okay, is this something I want to be a part of? How is this going to impact my life, my family's life, my mm-hmm. mental capacity? Like, is it going to take me here? This is very important. Is it going to take me away from my destiny? Right. What's the purpose of me? Because I believe we, we were all born with a purpose and a destiny, but to fulfill it, we have to do something. That's key. We were all born with a purpose and a destiny, but to fulfill it, we have to do something. So what's my purpose on this gig or in this situation? And what's the destiny? What's the destined place I'm called to take this situation? And if I cannot like simplify that in my mind, then I, you know, or it's, it's, it's not worth the headache. So even now I get calls from clients. Mm-hmm. There's a tour out, you know, and I get called and, you know, I, I just say, you know what, thank you, but no thank you. Right. You know, it's not worth the money. It's not it's, right. it's not worth it. You know, I, this is not what I want to do. So once you realize who you are first, it starts with you and knowing your value and 
your purpose and where you're looking to go in life that God created you for, it's like you realize, you know, I, I don't have to do this. And when you mm-hmm. get delivered from the from the cares of people, like mm-hmm. because I feel like we care more about what people have to say about us than more we care about what we're really called to do and become. Right. So if right. I care more about, oh man, now I gotta I gotta get a gig because you know, man, if I'm playing at the church, man. They're gonna, you know, they're gonna say I'm a church cat. But if you're called mm-hmm. to be a church guy, be that guy. Right. Be the church. If you're called to be, hey, do you wherever you God has called you or planted you, that's where you're gonna soar and you're gonna see major fruit. And, you know, one thing I respect about a lot of guys I know is, and that I see some I don't know, is that they're comfortable doing what they're doing. Mm-hmm. Like. I, I see clips of Mike Burrell. He is so comfortable in the space mm. he's in. Killing. Mm-hmm. In the yes. space he's in. He's not trying to do what I'm doing. He's like, hey, this is what I'm doing. Kevin Bonner, those guys, Cedric Thompson. They're good in the space they're at. They don't want to do what I'm doing. They're not concerned about me or Adam or you right, know, right. whoever else. They're like, no, you guys can have that. I'm good right here. And they're soaring and they're seeing fruit. So once you realize who you are and what God has called you to do, you know, I believe your your paradigm changes. Like the, the sky gets a little bluer, you know what I mean? Once you realize who you are, you know what I'm saying? So uh, I just believe, man, we have to capture that and mature to the place that we can say, okay, this is for me and this is not. Is this good right. for my head space? Is, is, is this good for my family? I was going to take me to the next place. Hear this. Am I connecting the dots? Or yeah. by me taking this gig, am I erasing something? Right. Exactly. You're, I only got a few more questions for you uh, before I let you go. Uh, the next one, it, 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 the, you just said so much right there. It's just hopefully people catch that and, and really take that in because you just dropped the gym right there. Um in terms of, uh, I guess, kind of piggybacking off that, uh, my next question in terms of this, this you speak to in terms of I said the inconvenience or if it's a opportunity. Do, when did you get to that space to where to? Because that's such an important thing. The reason why I want to harp on that because it's a lot of musicians that like I said, take gigs that they're not, they don't want to do. Cause I got to that space to where I was just taking gigs just cause, but I started getting lost. It's the thing that happens with musicians where they lose their way because they're doing digs that they're not really motivated for. They don't really care for the artists they're playing for. And I got, is there any, there been a time in, in terms of your journey as a musician to where I was kind of piggybacking off of the inconvenience or opportunity to where, um, not that that not that you lost the love of it, but did your passion ever dwindle? I guess um, have you have you ever taken on gigs? Have you pursuing this journey as a musician? Have you ever had those those moments to where you were like, I I don't I don't think I want to play for this artist, or just just that feeling of that I'm just aimlessly doing this, or were you always clear on your vision in terms of who you wanted to what the kind of music you wanted to play? Well, I was always clear on the kind of music I wanted to play because uh, being a man with integrity, mm-hmm. there were certain things I just 
I, I just decided I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to compromise who I am uh, for a gig. But mm-hmm. stuff changed. I went from wanting to be the greatest musician uh, to wanting to, want to be a great businessman. Okay. Because there's a time when the when music changes and you look and and your your licks aren't producing money for the light bill, the gas bill, or mortgage, and your credit is mm-hmm. torn. So, how do I transition from being a musician to a businessman? You know, and still love what I do and keep the integrity of the music. So, that's when I had a, a, a turning point, if you will. Uh, to to really change how I was doing things, change how my outlook, my approach, uh, and with music, I still love it, but it's kind of like okay, it's the business. It, there's a business aspect of it as well, so that's when things change. Right. right. You know, and it took a few a few heartbreaks. Uh, you know, when you you go through things, and you know, and ultimately. Uh, it was a, a humbling situation uh, where you realize that, listen, yes, you are great. Yes, God has gifted you. You're amazing. And you are you. But at the same time, uh, they don't need you. Right. The blessing is that they want you. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Many of us feel like, oh, this artist, music, they need me. But they, well, mm-hmm. they don't need you. They want you. Right. So you know, so it was. I had to go through a, uh, in a humbling situation a few times uh, mm-hmm. to let me know that you know I need to work on me a little bit and become. And that's where I, I had my life turning point. Right. Uh, and I'm gonna get to that uh, once I ask this question. Uh, your brother, I, I watch y'all. Uh, like I, I think, like I said, I think it was the Fantasia show where I seen both of y'all in the chemistry. Uh, all the musicians that were on stage, it was just fantastic. And I think Joe to see, I seen y'all perform live with them. I think it was on the what was it, the Culture Tour? Yeah. I think. The, yeah, yeah, yeah. It was that one I went to, uh, and it was, mind you, I was just blown away it was just wow. that jodeci show it was just like the just everything about it the the production of everything that about the concert was just fantastic but watching the dynamics of a, a brotherly duo was fun to watch on the fantasia show because y'all had little moments like i said with the 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 mm-hmm. i think it was uh the the dc joint the the one that was in the spike lee movie uh I can't ever the, the doing the butt song the butts the, that that yeah. that arrangement it was just like when wow. you were on the synth you were doing that I was just like oh man this is such a creative way to interpret these these riffs and as, as well as with your brother I always wanted to know because it seemed like y'all are kind of polar opposites in terms of personalities it, it, it kind of because <laughs> I have a brother that I grew up with he's younger because I'm the you, you explained how you were the oldest of sibling. I'm my I'm my dad's oldest. I'm not my my mom's oldest, but I I'm a, the oldest of six siblings. And me and my me and my sister, we grew up that we grew up in a house together, and we were the closest that. And I kind of feel it because I'm sort of the I was always the the observant. I don't think I was quiet. It was just I just observed people, and that's how I could understand body language and 
who to trust or who not to trust. I kind of had that discernment early on because I would just sit and watch people. My sister, she was just friendly. She would be talking and she didn't care who it was. She would just be, she was just the popular person that talked to everybody, everybody gravitated towards. And I kind of see that with y'all brotherly doing, y'all kind of personality-wise, y'all seem different. What is that What is that like in terms of, and shout out to your brother, Michael Curtis. He's fantastic basis. What, what, Right. What what is that that like in terms of the brotherly duo, like your, your sibling that you get to work with? What is, what is that 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 bond like in terms of on stage? What what is that what is that like for you? Well, it's 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 amazing because I get to work with someone that knows me, someone that started with me, someone that that we used to sleep together in the same bed sometimes, you know. So we're 11 months apart. His birthday is 11 11, and my birthday is 12 12. That's crazy. You know, wow. So, yeah, like it's real. So uh, to work with him and to see his genius, so it's, it's incredible working with my brother. Uh, we are alike in so many ways. But he he's more the rock star. I'm more the R and B guy. You know what I'm saying? Right. Where you know he's like, ah, let's go. Yeah. I'm more like, yeah, <laughs> you know, let's let's let's, let's right, get right. it. You know what I mean? Right, you right. Know? So it's like you got the crazy, sexy, cool type deal. It, you know, but I got some mm-hmm. rock star in me too when I when I'm ready right. to turn. But uh, in terms of you know, we've been through the struggle together. And, you know, whenever you go through a struggle with someone, you know, the the outcome of that is the passion in that that, that it produces is so amazing. So we get to the opportunity to produce and create uh, something that blesses millions of people night in and night out. And, you know, even records of, you know, of timeless music that people are going to make babies uh, form get marriages and all the other good stuff. So it, it's a blessing to do that. You know, I'm honored to do that. And also on the culture tour, I had the opportunity with Odyssey. I played with my brother and my dad. So my right. dad is on keys with me. So it's 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 epic. You know, um, to to look and see my my brother on my right, who's my right hand guy, my pops down there. And knowing that God has blessed me to be a blessing is so rewarding. You know what I mean? How many people can honestly say that they toured with their parents, that they toured with their brother? Right. You know, and legendary like, parent, by the way. I'll add that he's he's fantastic. Yeah, he, you know what I mean? You know, and right. So I'm, I'm, it, it is what it is. You know, so mm-hmm. I'm blessed to do that because you know to even have my parents to say, "Hey, I love you," and be able to have a conversation. So. I'm that kind of person, but yeah, so it's just awesome to work with people that know you, that love you, and mm-hmm. have the same love for the music. That that makes complete sense, and it's crazy you said 11 months because the sister I'm talking about, we're 13 months apart. So yeah, <laughs> it's it's insane. But yeah, what you were talking about, if it's anything, sibling bonds is is the great, especially if you grew up together, like you said. And you you went through you got through your hardships together. You you've seen every aspect of each other's lives, and it's like a unbreakable bond. And you have those moments where you still have that inner child, where y'all have inside jokes that you have from you know thirty plus years ago, oh, <laughs> and yeah. it's still yeah we still can look at each other on stage. We look, I look at him, he know right. what I mean. He right, can look right, at right. me, 
it's like we know what that means on stage right. you know <laughs> right you know and um the next couple questions is uh related to your your pastor uh life turning point ministries um i think once i started following your page i realized i was like oh he has a, a life turning point and i went to your your facebook page and i realized you were you had a, a weekly thing I, I was just attending your service like it was, it was crazy it was like i was just it's like my sunday service now it's, it's insane wow. and wow. when i watched it the the first one i watched in yours it was um you, I, I loved how you had it set up. It was, it was just everything. Cause I, I, I mostly listen to preachers. I don't really get motivated by words. I'm more of like, I like seeing people's actions or just watching documentaries. And I could get inspired by like, like with Quincy Jones, like he had a documentary on Netflix and just watching everything he had to go through. It was like that motivates me more than hearing. Cause I know pastors. You know they're real good wordsmiths, and their their job is to inspire people. But for some reason, when I look at yours, it was just a honest conversations. It wasn't even though you have that preacher thing, you have that pocket of a preacher, but it's not so much like the old school. You know what I mean? Because I grew up old school. The pastors that I used to see, they used to have perms, go to. <laughs> Uh, kind of heavy set, you know what I mean? And yeah, I'll be backing yeah. them up on the organ. You know, you know the the pocket they have. They get to the the Bible. They sing a song. They sing a hymnal. They do the prayer, and then they get into the word. And then you gotta uh, stay a little bit because you don't know if they're gonna get tuned up too fast. All right, I ain't gonna go that far yeah. from the organ because I think he'll cue <laughs> me up in D flat. Okay, I'm ready. Yeah. But I never really paid attention. And it's like when I heard your. Your, your sermon when you were you were speaking it was it was interesting because you were really contextualizing the bible what i love when i listen when i do listen to preachers uh read the word really get into the context of what it what the meaning is and using examples of everyday life but before i even get into that i want to know in terms of that journey of becoming a minister what what made you uh, get into that that what what spoke I'm sure it was a, a spiritual decision what what made you make that spiritual decision to become a minister you know as a child I I was called as a kid and so we my brother Michael Curtis the rock star we would play <laughs> church and I, he was my musician so you know I would set up the drums and you know, we do all this stuff and I would preach. I would preach to like whoever was there. My brother Big Dave and you know mm-hmm. brother TJ and my sister Alicia. Well, she didn't really attend. She was doing her <laughs> thing. But <laughs> but that's what we did as as kids. And I knew it was only a certain time uh, when I was nine years old. You know, I, I'm gonna say it like this. Like I I hear. I, I'm in tune with who I am. I'm, I am tuned with the spirit of God that lives inside of me, uh, that created me. And I believe when you are connected, he speaks softly, mm-hmm. but you have to hear. And he sounds mm-hmm. a lot like you. Right. So um, so I was, I heard him say, you know, that what I was going to do, you know, at nine. But I had to walk out the, the plan, you know, I had to go through some things. You know, mm-hmm. survive some things and, and also thrive in some things to become. So, um, you know, it, it was 
it was the call. I remember I was on the Tom Joyner cruise with Fantasia and Charlie Wilson, and I went on a balcony, and I heard the voice of God. It was dark. All you could see was the waves. And I didn't go downstairs to the party or anything, you know, and I heard it's time. And I was like, whoa. And I didn't want to do it because I was like, yo, I'm not even 40 yet. Like, I want to live. You know, I'm doing me. And he was like, you know, it's time. And so I knew then I was always connected. Like, I was on tour. They would tell you, the guys tell you, we would hold Bible studies on the tour bus. I would Mm -hmm. teach the word on tour. I'm the guy that prays on tour. Uh, I have a client that tells me, like, whenever we tour, he wants me to ride her bus because he feels safe and secure that nothing's going to happen just because I'm there. Hear this. Before I was Pastor E, the R&B pastor. You know what I mean? So I knew the call. So the thing was I couldn't live too reckless. I had my fun and still have fun. But I knew I couldn't live too reckless. I didn't want to mess my testimony up. But also, I wanted to be the guy to represent God. That's what he put in my spirit. Represent me. When I saw it, when he said it, he said, represent me. I'm looking at the word. Represent. Re. Present. Re. Present. Re. Means do over. Present. Gift. I need need you to re-gift me to the people. And what does that look like, E? And now you have the R&B pastor E. Will. Not R&B as in rhythm and blues, because I work with a lot of R&B artists, but because I'm revolutionary and bold. You have to right. be revolutionary and bold to do the things that God placed inside of you, because it's not conventional. If it was conventional, you'd be a copy of a copy. But when you are an originator, an authenticator, a trailblazer, you understand, like, hey, it's deeper than that. People won't get you, they won't understand you. But... Like the old man you said, they will understand it better by and by, whenever by and by comes. You, you, you're speaking, like I said, it's the, a mirror moment that just happened because it, from when you say God speaking to you, for me, I get that with fasting because I started mm-hmm. fasting in 2012 and I've never stopped. I've done it, I'm doing it more consistently now. I will have like, I do 30 days. 60 days I'm like oh I could do 90 days and when I did that it was just for my own spiritual clarity and so that's how this soul seven started was just like you said some uh, I was it was in the middle of the night it was like three four in the morning and a voice I heard it clear as day it was like get up and start writing about music wow, wow. And, a, and about music appreciation and mind you like some years prior I was having writer's block because I'm a music journalist as well. And it wasn't, it was just the idea wasn't, it wasn't a concrete idea. But when that voice spoke to me, it was like everything started to click and I just started up, got up and started writing. And then two months later, this So Savviness brand went and it was just, so when you said that, that spoke to me because that was my journey as well. And, and people always trivialize it the voice of, of God or spiritual forces, because you know you know we're in a we're in a different world now where people are accepting ancestors and which I'm cool with. It, to, to me, I, I I always observe different religions, always observe different uh, practices, and I realize some of it is culture and just how they were raised, like it, Muslim Christianity and. Catholic, uh, Catholics, that that's the main ones in the U.S., but most of it deals with culture, like a lot of Haitians. If you go to New York, 
Haitians, Puerto Ricans, a lot of them are Catholic. It's just certain demographics, certain nationalities kind of tend more to how they were raised and go in. So I can observe different things. But the reason why I always looked at Christianity, it was always interesting when I would read up on it. And it was, um, I would watch movies and I watched documentaries and it was like a thing in the 90s where they would say the white man's religion. And for some reason, that kept popping in my head. And so I was like, let me research this. And when I researched it, it was like, oh, they're talking about in terms of slavery, the transatlantic uh, slave trade. But what they don't realize is that the slaves weren't, the, the, the ones that were enslaved, they weren't stupid. They realized right. the ones trying to enforce those things on them that that was their way but they they went with more of the hebrew style they they got their inspiration from the hebrew boys like the israelites those things of being right. in bondage and all those things that they spoke of with the bible and it made sense to me and it was like that was their way of practicing and that was their way of of leading to god was doing it that way instead of the more european style of if you do these things, which is more of the Catholic thing, if you if you give your sins to the priest that he's going to talk to God and your all your sins are going to be forgiven. Right. And that's a whole we go to a whole other thing with that. Catholics, they have their own Bible. So that they, they yeah. everybody has their own thing and how they did it. But when I understood religion, because I look at things and what it is. Like when I look at Christianity, I, I look at it not as a as a uh like it was taking it as literal translation, I look at it for what it was meant to be, was to inspire people. Like you got the Old Testament and the New Testament. Well, look at the Old Testament. It was all these stories and it was like, oh, okay, I, I get what it is. And then we get to the New Testament. It's like, okay, Jesus came. This is God's son. The things that happened in the Old Testament, it was like, okay, God gave all these people chances and they kept messing up. Like, you lied. You, if you lied, your tongue, they were under Roman law. So if you lied, your tongue would get cut out. If you stole, your, your arms would get chopped off. And so when Jesus came, it was like, oh, well, if if you do all these things, now your sins will be forgiven. You don't have to do all those things. You don't have to be under Roman law because Jesus grace. is here. And I'm like, oh, this yeah. right, the grace, this makes sense. But a lot of people can't look at it from that standpoint because they have to put what they feel something is with the Bible I wanted to know in terms of you being a pastor, how do you interpret? Cause you, the way, like I said, when I watch your sermons, you have such a ability to just see it for what it is and not add on to an opinion to it. Just saying it for what it is. How, how do you get that ability to interpret the Bible in a way to where it's not your your thinking. It's just what it what you're reading. It's not yeah, what you're trying to project for somebody to feel. How did you How did you get to that space as a pastor? Well, I'll tell you this. First of all, uh, I got to that space by uh, trial and error. It okay. just didn't happen overnight because when you realize a lot of pastors they go to school to become pastors, and, mm -hmm. and I was going to school. I was working on my doctorate. I went in, in biblical studies. In psychology and uh, it just hit me it said um, here it is the voice of God speaking to me like what are you going to school for and I said God I want to learn how to teach your word I want to speak your word okay what are you going to school for I want to learn your word I want to teach your word again he said it again and I said well you know and then I heard the voice say to me uh, if they knew 
my word, then their churches will be full. If they knew me, he said, I, in my word, I said, I'll make you fishers a minute if you follow me. So if you want to draw people, you want to speak my word, spend time with me. The best way to convey someone's point of view, even what we read, what they write, what they read, the, the, the reason why the Bible is so amazing is because you have some people who witness, who walk with everything, who witness everything and who saw everything rise. So when you, when you, when you witness that and now other people will read about it, you know what I'm saying? Understand. Oh, wow. I see it. And it, so because they did what? They spent time with him. So it makes their witness more valuable. The same mm-hmm. thing when speaking. When you spend time with God of all creation, you realize, wow, I can convey his word because he gave it directly to me. He emailed it to me. He texted to me. He said, yo, E, check this out. I want you to speak this to the people. Give it to them just like that and tell them you love them. There's nothing they can do about it. We rock it and we out. So that's what I do. And uh, so it comes from spending time with God and uh, and just living everyday life without being around religious religious people, right? You know I mean, like you have to ground yourself and stay connected. Keep your keep your ear to the to the ground, like they say. Keep your your, your hand on the swivel, whatever it is. You know, stay connected. So that's what that is. That's how you, I do and, that. And you're aligning perfectly. Uh, the next question I wanted to ask in terms of because again, once I really it wasn't until I was in was playing in church and that's kind of where I was really examining where I was in terms of was I really doing this just to play every Sunday or was I really trying to spiritually be guided and I got into that weird space of where I didn't want to get paid anymore church because I kept treating it like a gig because I was starting to do professional gigs and it was like those worlds were starting to collide and it was like I don't it, it was like it, it didn't start out with me getting paid. So when I started playing, it was fun. And then when it started I getting paid, now it's responsibilities that come with it. And it's like, not that I was scared of the responsibility, but my focus was never on, Yeah. it was just on playing and okay, I'm gonna get, I get done with this. This service is done at two o'clock. I got a four o'clock mm-hmm. service, gotta go do that, get paid. And then it was just that, it, it, it kind of lost me there, but what I was going to ask... You know what it is? Go ahead. Oh, go, oh no, 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 I, go I, ahead. I, I, I gotta, so here's the problem, or here's the opportunity many, many of us have. As, as musicians, excuse me, in ministry or church, whatever you call it, see, we have the opportunity to change the, the dichotomy of it. We have the opportunity to change the outlook and view because many of us, we go to church to work. It's a gig. It comes mm-hmm. work. When, so we have to shift that from work to worship. Right. Right. So instead of me saying, okay, I'm going to church to get paid, you just know, okay, maybe I need to, I need to take off a Sunday so I'm not working and I can strictly go to worship. So what right. I do when we were open physically in the building, I had the leaders, it, you can only, the max amount of Sundays you can serve in a month is three. Right. Because you had, I wanted you to, have to spend a Sunday with your family, a Sunday just doing whatever you want to do instead of making it about work. It has to mm-hmm. be about about worship, us coming together to worship. If not, you get burnt out. Right. You, you're 100 percent right, and that's where I was going to ask in terms of it, it, it. What I realized then, just from retrospect, it was 
religion being religious versus righteous because religion i never when i did it i was going faithfully i never missed a sunday i went consecutively for like eight years doing that but what i realized was that it was being religious versus righteous like religious is like okay you sit at that pew every sunday at that spot and then if somebody comes in not familiar that you sit there every Sunday, you sit there, you have an attitude and reason. Now you're not focused on the word of God. You're focused on that spot. And religion right. for me, religious, I was getting in that practice of, okay, I'm showing up every day. This is what I'm doing. But I, I stopped seeking word the word of God. I stopped. I, I wasn't even focused on the word. The preacher is like, oh, I'm about to go sit in the fellowship hall for like uh, 30 minutes. Hopefully he'll have this wrapped up, you know, talking. <laughs> and I, I would do that. But when I started seeking righteousness and when I, oh, yeah. I would get into the word and I looked that word up because I remember it was some preacher. Sometimes it's not even a, the full message that I get. It's just certain words that stick out at me because I'm just a word nerd. And when he said righteousness, I remember looking it up in the Bible and looking up passages from righteousness. And it basically meant right with God. And that changed everything for me. And I wanted to know, I feel like there's religious and righteous people in church. I feel like, like you said, the religious, I always wanted to know what a pastor has that that not necessarily a divide in church in terms of religious and righteous, but has that ever deterred you? Cause I'm sure you get some kind of ridicule of being playing music, uh, worldly <laughs> for a certain artist and then playing in church. What, how do you handle that in terms of the religious people that don't foresee, they project whatever insecurities they have about, pastorings or what a pastor is supposed to do how do you handle that in terms of any kind of ridicule that comes your way of who you are and who you're who where you're destined to be in your your journey as uh leading uh worshipers what what how do you handle that so i handle it by the the word of god you know what i'm saying so for me there's a scripture that said behold all things have passed away behold i do a new thing so the new thing is something you've never seen. Mm -hmm. So you can't get caught up on what you've been seeing because if God's now doing a new thing, have you not known? Have you not known? Have you not seen it? So he said, I'm doing a new thing. If he's called you to do the new thing, you can't get caught up on the old thing or how people perceive you. The Sadducees and the Pharisees were caught up on the old thing, the sacrificing only God. And then... Mm -hmm. Jesus comes and say, hey, I'm the son of God. You know what I'm saying? I'm, he never even said he was the Messiah. He's like, yo, hey, I am who you say I am. You know what I'm saying? So at that point, when people can't, um, when they can't put you in a certain category, when they don't understand you, they hate on you and they watch you. And so you have to understand, you know, who your tribe is. Mm -hmm. Jesus knew who his tribe was. So he rocked with his tribe and the people that weren't his tribe, you know, he said, they don't receive you, dust just your feet off and keep it moving, player. I'm gone. Right. That's how you have to be. So you have to know that you know who your tribe is. And when you speak, you speak because your tribe will uh, recharge you and encourage you when you feel depleted. I'm working on a series now. I'm talking about truth is. Mm -hmm. And the truth is, in all of us, there's a struggle. There's a struggle with who we are. Uh, portray we are and who we really are mm. 
because if you look on social media today, there's a lot of people posting about who they really are, about who they want to be, but they look in the mirror and see who they really are. Mm. You know, we post like I'm happy, but inside we we, we sick. I'm, I post like I'm done with that person, so I'm gonna put. Oh, I'm, he better not ever call me by that. But he know what it is. I have and I mess. I'm sucker free. At the same right. time, you look you 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 looking at it at it. Yeah, but at the same time, you're looking at his profile, checking them out, and mm-hmm. it doesn't work. So for me, you have to connect with your tribe, and you have to not care so much. You can't care about what the naysayers or what, what the haters are saying, because what haters do, they're watching. Mm-hmm. They're watching while you work. You got to keep working. Let them watch, and pretty soon... The haters will come while you're working, while you're rocking, and say, hey, man, salute to you, King. I see what you're doing. How can I help you? Or either for musicians that's hating on you, they may come to a show and finally see that you're doing your thing. So right. that's how I rock. I, I, I have my tribe I rock with. Oh, man. You, you're you opening up because I'm trying to hold you up so long because I only got one more question before I will play the game with you so I can let you go. But you just keep talking about things that I I feel like is necessary to talk about in terms of just having that truth about yourself. There's a lot of people that don't, can't look outside, they can't go within themselves because they don't like looking at that mirror like you were speaking to. And to me, when I started looking at mirror, when I, and it's not, and a lot of people take that as a self-deprecating. I'm not talking about self-deprecating. I'm talking about just honestly looking at the truth of yourself, just really looking at not just your flaws, but just who you are at your core and in terms of your morale compass. And I feel like we all have a morale compass because I know what mine is. Mine is like, I'm very serious about like helping uh, I, I'm in that space now to where that motivates me more so than getting a pat on the back for playing good. Like, oh, you did good with that. And it's like, because there's so many people that have different lives. They come from different structures, uh, broken homes and all that stuff. And I'm always trying to analyze and figure out and, and how I got to that space was grieving because uh, we all experience losses. And if you haven't experienced yet, the, the depths of what grieving is, I feel like it's a, I call it an unwelcome guest <laughs> that mm, won't go away. And and the unwelcome guest for me, I just started to let them in. I just let, cause grieving, especially if it's somebody close to you, it's not that you can't get over it. The grief, it's more so of that presence, that physical being they were, if they were yeah. a light, if they were, had something about them that spoke to you or inspired you or just complimented you that made you want to be better you missed that aspect of them and going through that space and it was I was sitting I remember uh, a preacher was doing a eulogy on somebody and when you're grieving you go through everybody grieves differently but I just remember just I was just like I can't believe we're sitting here that's all I was thinking about and he the preacher said something he was like 
you know, joy comes in the morning. You know, you sad right now, but joy is going to come in the morning. And I just remember like, what is he talking about? This is not, he was like, you should be rejoicing. You should be good. They, 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 they're on the other side. And I was just sitting there like, what is he talking about? This is insane. But it wasn't until you, you start getting into that spiritual, when you really tap into oh, yeah. that God, that godly thing, that force, and it, it made so much sense. And that's how I look at grief is like a day by day thing. Because sometimes you can just be in the greatest mood in the world and it can be something simple you might see on TV and it might trigger you back to that space. But what I realized is about, I don't know about you as a pastor, but when I look at grief, I look at it's a uninviting feeling, but I look at it, my perspective always shifts because when it's something like if we, we lose a lot of legendary people that meant a lot to musical culture or just for the arts, if it's an actor or entertainer that meant a lot to black culture or just music culture in general, when we lose that or if, if it starts happening a lot, I just examine in terms of us because we all have a purpose in the journey and I think sometimes death creates a purpose I, I for me I, I I just wanted to know from a pastor in terms of grieving and your perspective on that because I always looked at grieving as um because I understand that feeling I, I empathize with people that lose people if they lose a mother or father or grandfather and because I under I understand what those feelings are. It's like a day by day process, and I wanted to ask in terms of grieving, the perspective of learning from it and just realizing that time is short. Like that's a cliche thing to say, but it for me when I when I when somebody passes, I always look at what is going on in my journey. If it impacts me personally, how 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 am I supposed to move forward with that? with that with that feeling in terms of grieving like if if they meant a lot to me am i still following my journey is this a sign for me to keep going on my path because i feel like that's what when people pass i think that's a sign for us to continue our purpose in our journey because time is short i just want to know how did you interpret grieving as a pastor well you know i do believe like grief and it's a really serious process that many of us run from and we try to avoid, including myself. But you have to understand when there's no such thing as like gone forever. I personally believe in my heart, this is how I cope with it, that it's like if I, if my son or one of my daughters, they come over to your house and stay at night and I'm saying like you keep them for a little while but I'll be there to get them you know soon mm -hmm. you might not know when I'm coming but you, you, you do know I'm coming back to get my child that's how right. I understand it it's, it's not that they're leaving it's the transition so they're transitioning uh, and God comes back to get their, his child but so it made me deal with the the loss of a loved one differently not saying I lost them they transitioned and ultimately, mm -hmm. I'm thinking like a race. What did they leave behind for me to carry out? They, there has to be a passing of a baton that I'm supposed to take to another level. You know, so what am I called to do with that? Because if just like the word says, 
Jesus will never leave you nor forsake you. He'll be with you to the end. So same way with love. Love. Jesus is love. Your loved one will never leave you nor forsake you. They'll be with you until the end. So you have to understand, mm-hmm. like, I mean, you may not physically be here, but mm-hmm. I carry you because love never dies. Right. So when you look at love, you have the different aspects of love. You have the feel good. You have the happy part. But you also have when love hurts. And that's a part mm. of grief. When the love hurts, I love you so much. It hurts me right now that you're not here. It hurts me right now. I can't talk to you. But I can. I can hold on. I believe God is so amazing. He's so creative that he allows us to connect with our loved ones and our dreams. That's one thing we can't control. You, you can't control your dream if you wanted to. So he shows us how much grace and how much he loves us. Because he said, I never leave you nor protect you. So if he allows your loved one to come to you in your dream, he's showing you that, listen, love never dies. And they didn't leave. They transitioned. Right. I 100% believe that. And it was because I had family members visit me in my sleep and it felt so real. And I was like, this feels real. And it it gave me comfort to know that they were it felt like they were in a better place because it it seemed real and we had a real conversations but uh, yeah it it taps into that when you talked about love and that's what made me understand love when you that's the crazy thing about life when you when you grieve someone it's always a bittersweet moment because i feel like whenever i grieve something great always happened right after it and it and it's such a bittersweet moment and it's like the people that inspired me that were no longer yeah it was like them passing it on and it and it's such a crazy realization and when you spoke on love i understood love understood in terms of just human kind just just that it's different levels to love you have and and Someone said something perfect. I was watching something on YouTube and they were like, romantic love. We always look at love in a romantic sense, but it's like the low-hanging fruit of what the totality of what love is. And love is, when when you really tap into it, it's, it's actionary, but it's also, I, I think those feelings of when you just love someone's being. And I think in a romantic sense, and outside of just just really examining because i did that with with my 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 parents it was like you look at your parents as your parents like you never really looked at them as an adult but when i retrospect it's like wow they were this age going through these things and sometimes the trauma that you know because i grew up old school you know it was like yes sir no sir you know you didn't talk back if you talk back you was getting hit in the mouth it wasn't even a question yeah, you were getting hit. And so, but when I realized that it's like certain things that we take in our childhood trauma, those things, whether good or bad, we carry that on to whatever relationship we're in. And a lot of times we're doing things out of habit. It's like a subconscious thing. We don't even realize we're doing it. And so when we're in a relationship, it's like, well, this is how my parents did it or if you came from a two-parent household and they were married or if you didn't you kind of take certain aspects and you don't even realize you're doing it it's just something out of habit but what i realized about love is it's just the intention of really understanding the person you're with it's like do you love their the the whole totality of that person and you can look at it from every aspect of a of a friendship it's like do you really like that person like the intentions, do you see their intentions clear as day? Yeah. 
and once and, and, and it's so crazy how grieving you can tap into emotions that you've never if you really explore it grieving could be the most healing thing it's like the most heart-wrenching thing but it's the most healing thing at the same time yeah. but yeah I, i'm just curious on the the next the last question i have and i'm gonna play this game with you so i can let you go in terms of um the church and traditionalism because uh, there's so many different denominations do you feel as a pastor because i know your church you don't uh, it's just life turning point ministries but do you have to do you feel like as a pastor you have to identify with the denomination to get your word across or do you just give the word the way you feel it and, and just how it the god speaks to you i give it the way god speaks to me and honestly i don't have a church i am the church that's why we're right. called, we're not called life turning point church we're life turning point ministries because we realize right. that we are the church and we called to do the work and so uh you know that's where we are and i, I believe that hey you know you can't you can get stale doing the same thing the same way all the time that's when you're mm-hmm. religious you're religion but when right. you understand who you are what you're called to do minister you minister according to god's word in the kingdom of god the way he ordained you for, uh, for mm-hmm. you to do so adult that i play this game with all my guests it's called the what's wrong with you game uh <laughs> It's an either-or game. It's not artist comparison. I just simply want to know who do you play more on your playlist. Uh, but yeah, uh, oh boy. I make up the rules as I go. I'll just I'll just start and say that I make up the rules as I, I go. Love it. I, love it. <laughs> I make them up. I, I never know. I never know where I'm going. So just stick with me, uh, brother E. I'm gonna take you. Uh, it, it's a it's a, a rhyme and reason to it. But <laughs> the first the first uh, first one is uh, Marvin Gaye. Or Teddy Pendergrass? Marvin Gaye. Okay. Next one, OJs or The Whispers? Ooh, I'd probably go with The Whispers. There we go. You talking right. I, I usually don't care on that. Either one you would have got right. But when you say The Whispers, because a lot of people pick the OJs in this game. But I love them both equally. Let me just say that. But when you say The Whispers, because they got a catalog. I mean, those hits stick like cold grits. It's just The Whispers catalog is just insane. Like cold grits. You know, they sticking. That's yeah, right. right. They sticking. Okay, the next one. Rick James or Prince? You can't do that to me. I'm from Buffalo. Yeah, come on. <laughs> oh, I'm, I'm I'm up from the low. Rick James, it is what it is. There we go. Another bonus points. Don't, like I said, those were all trick questions. Either one you would have got right on that because I love all those groups and solo artists uh, immensely have such affinity for. So either one you would got right on that. Okay, now we're at the part of the game. This is kind of the roller coaster ride. Uh, dude, those were the easy ones, but now we're at the part of the game where you got to get all these right. Or you get a what's wrong with you. So no pressure. Oh <laughs> it's more of a roller coaster ride for me because when y'all don't answer right, I feel it in my stomach. So it's more of a, oh, <laughs> it's more for me. So but no pressure. Okay, the, uh this one. Mike is Michael Jackson specific. Off the wall or thriller. Thriller. Okay. It, you sure? came first, you know, I mean. It came I, first. I, 
Okay, so so I, I'm just asking. So you listen to more songs on Thriller than Off the Wall? No, I don't. Oh, I thought you're saying like, oh, well, I'm more Off the Wall, honestly. More off the okay, wall. now you see the all the rules of the games is, is that who do you play more on your playlist? That's the only. Okay, there it is. That's the, the only thing that y'all need to answer. And okay, Off the Wall. Okay, woo, you got me scared on that. Like I said, roller coaster ride because I, I was that was iffy. <laughs> That was a little bumpy right there, but you you rerouted. We good. Okay, the next one, Miss Patty LaBelle or Miss Aretha Franklin. I don't play any of them, but I I, I would have to go. Okay, with, uh, Aretha, you know, if I had to choose. Okay, so you play more Aretha song. If you had to choose, you you would pick more Aretha songs then. Patty on your yeah, playlist. Yeah, yeah, Aretha was more soulful. Okay. All right. So you didn't answer. You were supposed to pick Miss Patty. You didn't pick what I picked. And so, like I said, I make up the rules as I go. One of the rules is if you don't pick what I pick, then you got it. I'm being nice. I used to say five songs, but you got 15 seconds to name me three Aretha songs on your playlist. Respect. Uh, great fine. Uh, oh, I know it. I can hear the chorus. I can't think. I'm bad with titles. Baby, yeah. I love you. Baby, I love you. That's a good one. Yeah, I like. Yeah. I was about to say Chain of Fools. I was trying to think of something. Chain of Fools. That's what it was. Yeah. Yeah. Rest yeah. on the Bobby Womack. Well, rest on the both of them. Miss Aretha and uh, Bobby Womack wrote that song. It's a great song. Okay, you name it. Okay, you you uh, did what the rule stated. You named three songs. Okay, you're not going to get a what's wrong with you because you named me three songs. But you do get a negative uh, 27 points because you were supposed to say Miss Patty. That, you know. <laughs> oh, no, you don't get a what's wrong with you, but you get what, what, a negative okay, 27 points. So, since you make the rules up, but you got to respect it then. I, I, I do respect. That's why that's why she's in the game. All the artists that's in the Yeah. I respect. I respect. But but you know, it's just a theory I have. I've had all these unproven theories. I just feel like people play more all the things this list is based off of is these unproven theories I have that people play more Patty songs than Aretha. It's just more so yeah. like doing corporate gigs. It's like I feel like Aretha People, I feel like Aretha has great albums and Patty has great singles. I think more people sit with Aretha songs more so than Patty. Patty's not really known for albums, and Aretha's known for like having stellar albums like Amazing Grace, the Gospel album, and Young Gifted and Black. Like she, it's just unproven theories I have. So uh, let me tell you something. (laughs) So the church my dad grew up in, and my great grandmother, my grandmother was the church that Aretha Franklin's father pastored. Mm. Okay. In Buffalo, New York. So can I get my 27 points? I got to stick with the home. Listen, I had a guest on. (laughs) She, uh, her her family tree stems from the Caravans and Mickey Howard and Caravans. They sung, uh, at uh at, on the Amazing Grace album, the Caravan song on the Amazing Grace album. So even though that's her, I knew that that you know the Aretha ties is there with her family. It's just the rules of the game, sir. I I know. <laughs> I get you. 
You said, I'm I get not it. changing my rules, okay? It's just the rules. It's the rules again. Like I said, you don't get what's wrong with you. You just get negative points. You know what? I'm going you know to take it back. Since you add that in there, I'm going to give you plus 30. So you got three points. Thank you. Look at God. You get Hallelujah. plus three points. Okay. <laughs> the next Hallelujah. one. The next one is uh, Brian McKnight or Babyface. Babyface. Okay. Easy one. Like I said, that's probably the easiest one out of this whole list. So you you pass that one with flying colors. You get plus a hundred points just for that, just for answering right off. Come the on jump. here, show me love. I'm doing something today. Yes, you got it. Okay, this one I feel like is going to be an easy one as well. Uh, SWV or Escape. <laughs> They're both my clients. Right. I don't want to. I don't want to put the story on the but Listen, I've had. Listen, I have. I had a shout out to Jay Michael. I had him on, even though you know it would be considered biased, you know. But you know, it is what it is. You know, you just gotta speak the truth. Speak the truth, brother E. Just speak the you truth. You know what? SWV, to be honest. Yes, absolutely. That was easy. That that was the easy giveaway. SWV all day. Yes. The next one, I feel like this is an easy one as well because we talked about this earlier in a part of the. The pot, the episode, uh, Jodeci or Boys the Men. Jodeci. Like I said, easy. You acing it now, man. You see there? Jodeci, you you, you getting you we <laughs> you on. getting through these too easy. Okay, we at the bonus round now. Okay. Okay. Faith Evans or Mary J. Blige. Mary J. Blige. Okay. I wanted you to pick Faith, but that's fine. You know, love them both equally. You, you know, play, you, so I'm be honest with you. Like I love, uh, I remember, and the interlude was, uh, oh, or soon as I get home, like yeah, like uh, your love is wonderful, and I don't want to lose your love. But the interlude to as soon as I get home, that was amazing. Yeah, was you it know, the? So, It's gospel harmonies. Yeah, that's gospel R and B right there. But yeah. okay, let me ask this. Okay, who has the better debut album, Faith Evans or Mary? Faith. Okay, you talking right? Okay, who has the better sophomore album, Faith or Mary? Is my life versus uh, Keep the Faith? Oh, my life, Mary. Okay, see, that's my theory. I think. Mary, I think Faith has the better debut album because I think Mary had the hip hop and R&B, like I said, Uptown, uh, Andre Harrell, she's the first woman, uh, queen of hip hop, so that that was cool, but I think she found herself with the sophomore album and that she loves that that album, it's, it's a masterpiece, but I think Faith's debut, for her to vocally produce herself and to add all those vocal larynx, the, the harmonies, like that was, to me, I never heard that in, in R&B music before. The, the Hezekiah Walker style harmonies oh, and the, yeah. the Clark sister style, like that was my type of R&B. I love that. But you, you listen, plus 50 points right there because you answered that right. Nobody ever answers that right. You're the first guest. And I've had, I've interviewed hundreds of people and they never picked that. That's You're the first. Rocking. Q, yes. That's why we rocking. Listen, okay, the last one is, we, you spoke on this earlier. Okay, this is kind of tricky. I know it's going to be hard. Okay, Ohio Players or Earth, Wind & Fire? Earth, Wind & Fire. Okay, 
Listen, either way you would have went with it, you would have got it. But I have determined, we are at the end of the What's Wrong With You game, and I have determined that there is nothing wrong with Mr. Eric Williams. There's nothing wrong with him. He won the game. I usually send a cash app to all, all the Constellation products. I usually send a cash app for our guests to get them a nice adult beverage. But since you are a man of the cloth, I am going to send you some uh, some a cash app for some holy water and you know and maybe some ginger maybe, ale. <laughs> some ginger ale. We'll, we'll get that going. <laughs> but thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Thank you so much for talking. I I love it. It's something like I said. I have this thing where I talk about people that that just have this thing about them. I call it um, soul imprints. Like when you hear Anita Baker record, when you hear a Sade record, when you when you hear those that music that just ascends, like it feels like it's it's just timeless. It's just a musical ascension. And I feel like certain people have these soul imprints. And I feel like the work that you're doing with Life Turning Point Ministries and just just your overall morale compass is a, a soul imprint because oh, wow. it's, it's just it's just certain people have that thing about them and it's whether they went through the bad and they probably went through the worst of the worst just just trauma triggers but they overcome because their perspective on life doesn't get limited to what they experience and what they take yeah. from the experience is more perspective and I love talking to people that I feel because it's just a thing. It's like when people talk about energy, it's like when science talks about like a positive vibration, positive is always going to equal a positive and a positive. If you have a positive force with a negative, it's always going to equal a positive. And if you have a negative force with a negative force, it's always going to be negative. But with that right. positive force, I feel like that all of those things, when people talk about laws of relativity, relativity and laws of attraction i feel like all those things are real and i feel like all those things can you can still relate to in a spiritual sense and you can get that same vibe from people so i appreciate you i appreciate you coming on the the podcast uh and being informative just just really being a a great vessel for your 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 ministry and hopefully people get from this of just really understand the journey of where you came from and where you're at. So I appreciate you for that. But yeah, thank you. Uh, and, and as well, like personally, like I said, watching your, when I watched you on Sundays, you did something for me. I, I didn't know if I was going to publicly share this or not, but it was something that happened. You had talked in your sermon about stretching. Mm. And I promise you that day, it was something that happened. It was an opportunity and I didn't want to take it because it was going to stretch me. It was going to stretch, like, not financially. It was just that the opportunity, it was just so much going on. And if I, but when you said that, it was like, because I think as we get older, we kind of lose that. That's why I love seeing the young people come up because they just have this, this vigorous spirit of just wanting to do it. And that inner child that just comes out. And it's like, as you get older, you get more safer. And it's like, oh, I got this going on. I got that going on. So I'm not going to do that i'm not gonna stretch myself because i'm comfortable and when i saw your sermon literally that day i was like just go for it and do it you got it in you to do it just do it and when i did it it changed everything so thank you for that yeah i appreciate what you do with life turning point ministries but i want to know what what can people look out for in the in terms of future projects that you're working on you mentioned it earlier 
but what more can they look for uh, in terms of your 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 brand? My brand. I'm working with several artists right now. Shout out to Coco, J. Michael, Casey of Jodeci, Fantasia, T. Boss, C.O.C. Working on some great stuff. Michael Curtis and uh, you know my daughter Najia, my brother Nelly, Takor, and they're coming out with some great stuff. Uh, I'm also currently working on uh, my own record. You know what I'm saying? So. Expect nice. some good music from me. It won't. It won't be the hand clapping, foot stumping, but it's gonna be what I feel, and I, I believe that people are gonna rock with it. You know what I mean? So I gotta bring that love, that baby making back. Right, right, right. Uh, I can't. I can't wait to hear that because you know, <laughs> like I said, it all translates. When when I hear people, I can hear like when I when I listen to your live show, when you did your uh, your thing as a musician on stage, I can envision that what that would sound like because you can hear oh. your inflections you can hear the things that how you interpret music how you interpret sounds i can sonically hear what that would sound like because you have such a a fusion of great genres like because i feel like you you have the the such a great taste in in in, in vast knowledge of music it, it, I feel like all that would translate in a record perfectly. So I can't wait to hear that. Also, where can people find you on social media? You can find me on Instagram at Eric E. Will. That's E-R-I-C-E-W-I-L-L. Um, also on Facebook. I don't know if I can accept any more followers right now, but it's Eric E. Will Williams. Uh, yeah, hit me up. I'm around. I love to connect with the people. I'm the type of person... I'm not a huge DM guy uh, mm-hmm. because a lot of stuff pop up in your DMs and I'm trying to Oh, focus. yeah, for sure. You know, right. I need to see nipples and all that stuff. I want to see... Uh... <laughs> <laughs> no nipples. Do not send the pat. Do not yeah. send this man anything. Block yeah. all of it. Send yeah, it Send know. it all back. <laughs> yeah, you know, I try to, try to stay out of that stuff, but I right. love interacting and I would like, I would support and uh, take it from there. So yeah, hit me up on IG. Yeah. Absolutely. I'm looking forward to connecting with you. Like, like I said, you're you're fantastic. Your your light is it, it's just certain things. It's like people don't have to say. It's just on them. It's not. It's it's in them. And 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 when people have that light, when they when they have that that thing, that purpose purpose driven thing about them, you can see it on them. And, and I just want to thank you for just being you, just 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 sharing yourself, sharing your your platform. And, and just doing those great things, like I said, with like Turning Point Ministries. Um, but yeah, you're, you're, it, it just, I learn a lot just from afar, just watching musicians. It's like a small community, especially in the R&B uh, realm in terms of touring. It's like, I'll sit and watch you guys. And it's like, I learn a lot. It's like, you make me better as a musician, just, just really taking in what it is that you're trying to give to the people and it comes from a genuine place and you have uh, uh, just a a family because it feels like a family when you watch certain uh, torn musicians it's like they all have a vibe and chemistry together and I feel like the, the ensembles you put together as a music director is phenomenal everybody just just plays their pocket everything is great and I was going to end with this Herbie Hancock he had said something about Miles Davis he had uh, he he was doing a, a gig with him, 
and he said he was having a writer's block. He was having a block moment where he couldn't creatively come up with something. And he was just playing the easy notes. Like, you know, as a musician, you have those go-to chords and he was playing those. And Miles Davis told him during the intermission, during the break period, he was like, you playing the butter notes. Mm. And he was like, basically challenging him to do better. And I feel like that's the kind of inspiration I get from watching uh, musicians like you is don't play the butter notes. Like you challenging me to go beyond that. So thank you for that. Thank you for coming on the podcast. Uh, You're listening to the soul sadness podcast. Do you have any last words before we end the episode? Listen, everyone, I want to encourage everyone to live and love people. Like, pick up the phone, call friends, call family. Like, give love, show love, and receive love. You know what I mean? I love you, and there's nothing you can do about it. We rock. Absolutely. Then I hear George Wilder. Let me tell you how it is. And this is real. When it comes to creating, create what you feel. Create what you feel. Follow your heart. Even if someone says it's butter, but it's your butter. And then your butter can mm. be amazing. Do what you mm. feel until you taste it. You know when it's too much seasoning and you know when it's fried just right. Do follow right. your heart. And that's love. Love is only a four-letter word till you give it away. I'm giving it to you today. We rock. There we go. Thank you for tuning in to the Soul Savings Podcast. And we out, y'all. Whether you need to be comforted, soothed, or relaxed, Soul Savviness got you the ultimate getaway. You are listening to the Sounds of Soul Savviness podcast, where we are sure to put your mind, body, and soul at ease.